Hey, Steve. What's going on? Steve. Are you here? Wait, you? Are you okay, man? I'm doing fine, Joey. I'm just getting ready for our next episode. Wait, what episode? What episode indeed? We are going over H.P. Lovecraft and Cthulhu. I'm working on my chant to bring the great Cthulhu. Awaken him, for in his house at Raleigh, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming. Plus, this voice is really fun. Check it out. Baby shark do 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 Baby shark do 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 Baby shark do 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 Baby shark. Hello? Hello? Oh well. Let's do this. Welcome to another episode of Dads with Nerdy Ambitions. I'm your host, Steve Pugh. And I'm Joe. And just like Lovecraft, I've been trolling Fred Jackson for years. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I like that one. I like that. I spent you did me, your research it, on that it one. It took me uh, 18 hours to come up with something that clever. <laughs> <laughs> so, in this episode, we are discussing H.P. Lovecraft and the we'll call it the Lovecraft Cthulhu mythos. The, 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 I think the actual terminology is Cthulhu mythos, but it kind of gives off the wrong, uh, mentality of HP Lovecraft's universe, because there's many, many, many things besides Cthulhu. He's just the most famous one, I think. Um, so in this episode, kind of give an idea of what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to discuss a little bit about H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, kind of graze over his life. Um, just very depressing, if we're being honest. I'll tell you, I've got some bones to pick with Lovecraft. Um, okay. I got some notes um, and some potentially unpopular opinions, but okay, yeah, yeah I, got, I got a beef with him. Okay, so we'll go over that. Actually, before we'll do that, we're going to do. Uh, you have some mabads, good sir. I have one mabads. where we're sharing. We, you have some mabads. I have a mabad. Well, one of them's both of us, and then you have a one that is absolutely you. So we'll do those first, and then we'll go over H.P. Lovecraft, and then we'll kind of go into the the questions while also talking about. Uh, more of the Cthulhu Mythos universe, and then we'll go into the games and kind of wrap up with a, a couple of more questions. I have about five or six right here. I don't know how many of them we'll actually be able to get into, but I think we're going to graze over most of them as we go along. So starting off, as we did in episode two, we're starting off with the Mabads. So Joey, this one is going to be you and I. So in the in the the Dungeons and Dragon episodes, we were discussing halflings and hobbits and what they actually are. So you said halflings are their own race. You're partially true. Halflings are and hobbits. When you think of halflings as a hobbit, they are their own race. In the Tolkien universe hobbits are a race, which are based off of the hat, the halflings. Now in the Dungeons and Dragons universe, halflings are crossbreeds. So you weren't wrong, but you weren't fully right. So this is a technical on our, I'll call this a, on both of us. We weren't fully educated. So I think we both owe a my bad. So I'll give it a second. My bad. I'll give you a a, a hesitant, my bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> I want sources. 
I'm not wrong until I see sources. I will bring you the sources. I actually, I did. I went and looked this up. No, I'll, um, I'll give my first Mubad. Uh, yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> uh, so here is your f- official true Mubad. So when you were talking about evil dwarves, you couldn't get the name right for nothing. It's, no, it's Duogars. Oh, listen, man, I preference that. I'm not saying my bad. I preference that. With... <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. What you could have done to save your butt, though, uh-huh. you could have said Grey Dwarves. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know Grey Dwarves was a term. Grey Dwarves is a term for evil dwarves. I refuse to. For the sake of this segment, <laughs> all right, my bad. But um, I just want you to know I prefaced that. I didn't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> you did preference it. However, because this was your this D D was your cup of tea and you didn't know that now there's there's only now this disclaimer here, Joey has a handful and I think Tolkien, the Hobbit, and I guess I know this is the same person, but uh, the Hobbit Lord of the Rings, Dungeons and Dragons, and Cloverfield, I think those are your areas. Final and Fantasy. that's pretty much Oh, Final Fantasy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like I said, a handful. <laughs> Uh, six, seven, and ten is pretty much all I've got. But that's a that's for another. Yeah. Time. Yes. So those are your areas, and you failed. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, you know, let's you you can do yours. Um, I, this is a toxic segment. It, hey, man, we're in the episode where there is just no happy endings. Um. So, <laughs> so let's get with that note. Let's get into the life of H.P. Lovecraft here. So he was born and died both in Providence, Rhode Island. He was born August twentieth, nine or eighteen ninety. Sorry, uh, he died March fifteenth, nineteen thirty seven. He was only forty seven years old, if I did my math right. Uh, in that time. I think he had one of the most depressing lives. I would argue the most depressing life of any artist that I I have the knowledge of. Like I was thinking about it and I did. I tried to think. I'm like, who could have had it worse? I mean, if you, you kind of look at their Edgar Allan Poe, he was pretty bad too. Uh, Van Gogh. And I, I just know. Like this guy, everything that had happened to him was a cause and effect. And when you know these things, you can very much see it in his writing and in the monsters and the stories that he tells. He very much puts all of this into it. Um, agree, disagree. Thoughts. Yeah, uh, he definitely had a messed up life. Um, everybody that he knew just kept dying, but painstakingly, you know, kept writing and writing and writing. Nothing got picked up. Yeah, it, it, nothing could go right for him. Even he, he couldn't even be with his own wife, which was insane. Yeah. So before we get to that, let's kind of briefly look at this. So when he was 13, his dad died. Uh, and his mom and him became very antisocial and they very much were like segregating themselves away from everybody and being very isolated. Eventually they went to live with his uncle who then ended up dying later on. And his mom ended up going insane and he just, it, it made him worse off. Fast forward a little bit later, he ends up getting married to this, you know, this lovely lady who owns her own hat store and he's writing and they're in New York City. They moved out of Providence and were in New York City. And then like her store collapsed or it just like it quit selling. She had to move away and, to, and they were still trying to be with each other. And he ended up living in a, a not so nice area. So yeah, his wife moved away. I think she was, was in Ohio. Uh, and then from there he was, you know, living in this, the slums and just still writing, still pursuing. He just, he couldn't handle it anymore. And he reached out to his aunts who just happened to not be the most pleasant of people. They lived in Rhode Island and they pretty much told him, yeah, we'll help you out. We'll take care of you, but you can never see your wife ever again. <laughs> and, 
he agreed to it because he, he just couldn't handle where he was living. Then he goes and lives with his aunts and he's writing more uh, back in Providence, Rhode Island and fast forward a little bit. And one of the aunts dies and then he, <laughs> him and his one aunt end up living in poverty where she eventually passes away and he ends up getting cancer and die. And he was so isolated and so antisocial, it ended up getting worse and worse and was not treatable. Right. And passes away at the age of 47. Yeah. Now, he never really saw any of his work go in. Yeah, go ahead. You should, you should say he chose because he was so antisocial. He did choose not to go see a doctor until it got unbearable. And I believe because he didn't know it was cancer at the time, but he referred to it as like the fear or something like that, like this pain that was inside of him. So like, of course, that just, you know, reflect even more in his stories and drove him even more insane. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like everything that had happened to him, all this death, all this pain and darkness, um, living near the coast in the, you know, in New York and in Providence by the ocean, you can see all these things and how all of this delirium that he probably had delirium into his writing and his dreams, all these situations His Oh yeah. Not even to mention the fact that I forgot, I glazed over the fact that his mom went into an insane asylum and was extremely verbally abusive, abusive to him. And even though like, you know, a lot of these people in his life were super toxic to him, it still was like a very, it took a, a heavy toll on him. All their deaths, his, you know, awful aunts, his mom, his dad, like all these, these family members, even if, whether they were good or bad to him, it still like weighed heavy on him, which, you know, added to the insanity. And it's not hard to see once you know all this stuff, where he came from, where these writings came from. And there is, it, it, and it must be acknowledged that there was in his writing some racism and uh, some anti-Semitism. However, even though he was married to the girl who was Jewish. Um, oh, I, I don't know how true it is. Um, I only I only saw a little bit about it. I thought I saw something that, yes, to like touch into his racism, he was notoriously racist. Um, but eventually he actually developed a real phobia to people of color or Jewish people. Um, I don't know yeah, how... In the Creditable that is, or what the source that I looked at, but that's what I read. Yeah, yeah, and what I was and what I was reading about him because I wanted to, I wanted to touch this, but I want to touch it lightly. I don't want to delve onto it too much, but it was from what I could understand, it was the time and age and where he lived in, and the the experience he'd had, and the mental issues, and the social anxiety or lack thereof, any social upbringing whatsoever all took into a factor and affected his mentality and his thought process of people of all races and religions. And so it's, that has to be kind of taken into factor a little bit. However, I don't want to talk too much about this because I'm not qualified enough. I can only give my opinion and base what I've read and seen, but there's no doubt about it. This guy had a, horrible life a very dark life he didn't really get to see any of the money like many artists um that we take for granted classical artists uh van gogh i'll go into that um where they just you know they didn't see the money they didn't see the profits however a friend of his ended up making uh arkham house which is arkham is where most of the stories of cthulhu and uh the dagon and not Mountain of Madness, but uh, uh, I want to say uh, not the Dunwich Horror, Color of Space. I think a lot of these take place in that vicinity of Arkham. So knowing all that, he didn't get to see these right you know, the prophets, but his friend who helped write some of these stories uh, and created a company called Arkham House, and which is where the, the, the all that stuff is based out of. Um, he those stories went into these this book publishing company and in the, even in the beginning they didn't really make a lot of money but later on they started to and it started being picked up because it, it is there, there there really wasn't a lot of horror back then there was penny dreadfuls and there were uh then later on the weird tales so it's 
eventually this this was the go to and it was the inspiration for a lot of uh things that we 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 love and enjoy today um so let's kind of go into some of his works uh some of his monsters that you may know we kind of covered his life um but here's some fun facts let's get a little bit peppier uh he did end up writing writing over 70 stories and not all of them are based around monsters he was definitely a thriller writer uh he was even given the title of titan of thrillers so he's written over 70 stories uh some of the most famous ones are the dunwich horror the call of cthulhu mountain of madness the color out of space azathoth beyond the wall of sleep dagon and uh reanimator which is a really neat one basically think everything lazarus and that is reanimator um yeah so he he's done a lot of different things and it's really cool um to see all those things and how they've affected pop culture uh thriller horrors i gotta Um, say yeah lovecraft is a garbage writer uh his i i appreciate that where you know the Lovecraft, Lovecraft mythos is gone and everything gets inspired, him himself, my God, he is a terrible writer. Why would you say that? All right, I'm I, bite me. Uh, I'll bite is what I meant to say. I'll bite <laughs> as I go. Bite me. <laughs> His prose why? are so why? cumbersome and rambling. His sentences are insanely long. He wildly overuses and bloats his narrative with piles and piles of object- adjectives. Um, half of them are always, well, I, I actually have a Lovecraft word count, but, um, everything is either indescribable or unnameable. Um, <laughs> can I, can I read you a, uh, excerpt? Johansson, thank God, did not know quite all, even though he saw the city and the thing, but I shall never sleep calmly again when I think of the horrors that lurk ceaselessly behind the time behind life and time and in space, and of those unhallowed blasphemies from elder stars which dream beneath the sea, known and favored by a nightmare cult, ready and eager to lose them on the world whenever another earthquake shall heave their monstrous stone city again to the sun and air. That was one sentence. You gotta understand, though, that's no, a, it no, was a different time no, and different age time. in writing. We are in the prime of writing. That was the most garbage thing. So there's there's a writing technique that is called... I mean, it, the most common show, don't tell. So, like, mm-hmm. the point of it is to paint a picture with words, not just say what's going on. Uh, a classic example of that is, don't tell me the moon is shining, show me the glint of light on broken glass. Lovecraft does not do that. The only time you know in his stories when something's supposed to be scary is because he specifically has the narrator tell you it's scary. That's awful writing. And then it's just <laughs> adjective after adjective after adjective after adjective. Or, like, one of his creatures is called, um, what is it called? Uh, the the unnameable or something like that. Don't write a story uh-huh. about that. If you can't describe it, don't write that story. Come up with a different creature. <laughs> that's 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 my 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 rant on him. I love where the mythos is <laughs> I, going. I see that. Wow. I you, love uh, where the mythos is going. Lovecraft is a garbage writer. Don't have to. All right. Can we, well, you we can not use... Me. How about this? How about this? You don't like his style of writing. Yeah, he's bad. But you can't deny that he's not... He set up a world where good writers could make a good mythos. I see. I, even then, uh, like, I, I can I can get behind the fact that you don't like him as a writer, and I respect that. Right. I totally, totally do. But you're wrong. No, <laughs> but <laughs> you're, you're, no, I can get made, that. I get he that. He made almost no money while writing his stories, but then the yes. second some other dude took over, I can't remember his name, he started making a ton of money off of it. Not right off the bat. No, it took a while because and be, but because his friend did have a lot of money. He was able to keep Arkham House going. But eventually so, it caught on, and the popular stories are... I mean, I'm sure there are people who have read all of Lovecraft's stuff. Um, and there's a whole uh, group, in fact, called the uh, 
H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. They actually are uh, almost a, uh, I think they're called a, they are considered a live action role playing group, which is another subject we'll get into. It's called LARPing, um, um, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but uh, are just our listeners. We will talk about that in another episode. But yes, they are very in-depth with uh his works and they even do all pretty much all the audios. So they, I know there's other groups out there that do them, but they do all the audibles for them. But I, I get what you're saying. I really, really do. And I respect that you don't like him as a writer. And I can understand where you're saying he set up the universe. Yes, he did set up the universe and yes, he didn't make the money he could have. However, I would argue he chose not to make the money because there were opportunities he didn't want to be a ghostwriter. There was a chance. Actually, I think he was a ghostwriter for Harry Houdini. Right, but I'm pretty sure he hated ghostwriting. I thought he, did. he, he absolutely yeah, he, hated he, it. He, he turned it down. To make him like, money in order to continue his writing. I think it was his style of writing back then, hmm. the, the type of writing. He was good at setting up a universe. He was good yeah, at setting I, up I think the bad. He was he was good at setting up the big bad evil right. guys. I think he's because he's there's great at world building. I mean, it, it's really it's an amazing everything. There's so much crap in this universe, and that's that's amazing. He is not good at telling or like actually I defining think it. I think, and, and I think that's what makes this such a niche um, culture a fandom. You know, this is you either really like his writing or you hate it. And I think this is this is interesting because I think this is the first time you and I have found a fandom subject that both of us couldn't get at least some like I, I feel like you're getting, I would say, 50 percent behind because of the other mythos and the other stuff that's out there. Like I said, Whereas I, don't, I, I don't like Lovecraft's writing. Yes. I like the world that he's built. I respect that. Okay. I can, you know, like I said, totally get that. And yeah, now I, I can dive full into it because I enjoy his writing. I, I like it. I, yes, I, I, in my mind, the reason I think I can process it and I can take how he's describing things is because back then they're really, I take it into the 1920s and 1930s when most stuff was done on a radio and He's almost influenced by radio television writing where you're hearing stuff on the radio. And so he's trying to describe it where it could be read. I think that's how that's affected and influenced maybe his writing. And like, think of World of the Worlds. You know, it kind of this it kind of comes off like that. That style. Well, I, I reference so, or equate it to you were telling me a story about some writer who spent like an hour describing a chair. Oh, yeah. Uh, Guy Haley. Yeah. yeah. It was a layup. So, yeah. Or yeah, layup, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would equate what H.B. Lovecraft does to that. If he okay. wants to talk and, about like, oh, there's a, a altar in the middle of the room. Let me tell you 50 different ways how scary it is. <laughs> Um, chapter one, okay. the altar. All it's right. all one sentence. It is 400 pages long. Um, and he will use the entire dictionary and thesaurus. <laughs> okay. All right. I get it. You really don't like <laughs> that, his that's, writing. That's my, <laughs> that, that's my rant. Um, other than that. Okay. <laughs> now that you scared away uh, half of our listeners with your tangent on about how you don't like him. Um, let's talk about some of the monsters, uh, and his, his thing. Uh, so you you definitely did your your research on it. I will not um, be able to pronounce a single one except for Cthulhu. Oh, except for the <laughs> uh, idiot god. I can say that one pretty well. The idiot god. Oh yeah. <laughs> so let's look at uh, I there's there's a he made a ton and then there's a ton in his universe. Uh, so Cthulhu is definitely by far the most popular. And you know what? Let's go ahead, and that's that'll be our first question. Why is Cthulhu the most popular of the great old ones? Um, I have no idea. I legitimately couldn't come up with a prop like a proper reason. I think because the story call of the call of Cthulhu was a unique story. I think. I know you didn't enjoy the writing, but I think it was 
different from anything else that had been written out there. And it's describing this creature with tentacles and bat-like wings and towers above us. And it's described in a way that you can imagine it more than, and you, you, you did point this out. Like some of those things he says, it's undescribable. So you can't imagine these creatures like the Chochos and, uh, the Shoggoth, I think are the, the, some of the ones, um, the openers of the ways, uh, these, some of these creatures, he, he can't, and he just, or even how he describes the elder things. Right. I, I he's, he puts also, a lot. Yeah. I wonder if it also is attributed to the period that, because you also have to understand, like, this is what the Great Depression's going on. Like, a lot of. 1928 to 1938. Okay, yeah, there so, was a time so frame he is, was writing. This is a really bad time um, going yeah. on right now. Oh, it's an, he's an, yeah, whatever. Um, anyways, this is a really bad time going on. Um, and doesn't, Cthulhu has like this ability, if you see him, you'll go mad, right? Yeah. Okay, so this uh, is. Well, any of the gods, oh, yes, okay. so to any, look upon them okay. is to, well, pretty much any of them, yes, is to cause you madness because they don't fit our logic. Our brains can't hopper, comprehend them and we kind of derp. Right. That's a, a, really that's that's something you can you know imagine like okay giant mm-hmm. squid monster that's a little like okay whatever i i can i can imagine it but it's not that scary but like something that's very real like this is also a time where people don't really understand mental illness so this i i wonder if like this maddening effect just hit a little too home for some of these people it could have it could have um that's yeah that's unfortunate Unfortunately, there's not many people around that still around from that time frame. Um, that would be. Yeah. And, and I, I like that about this because the the thriller in his stories and the thrillers of these monsters is not so much that the fact that they can tear you from limb to limb, that these creatures lurk in the darkness like you have in modern day monsters. It is the mental effects these things can have on you and it's that's that's what appeals to me more is you have these bizarre like just out of nowhere creatures and how he describes them. you can end or you, how people have gone on even not just him alone but like, so moving past him but just the entire mythos of these creatures how they are just presented and birthed into this world uh they're unique. There's no other, the, the only other creatures. And even then they have some influence from HP Lovecraft and the Cthulhu mythos, uh, are the xenomorph aliens. Like they are something so unique. That's lack of a better word, alien. And I out there believe like a lot of them are referenced as aliens. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, and that was another subject that there, he takes things that people, he takes the unknown and he took the fear of the unknown and he utilized that because nobody had really been out in space at this time. You just knew that, you know what you knew from what scientists could see. And that was that there was no, what is out there. And that did make it scary. Like there's a, as a thought, this creature that is the doomsday of the universe that is like pretty much everything on here is a doomsday creature. However, this is the one that even the doomsday creatures fear because he's the one that kills the, the, the great old ones. Oh, 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 there's something that Cthulhu's afraid of. Oh man. And he's the one that's going to make me go insane just by looking at him. Cool. So it's, it's, it's unique and it's neat. And that's why I like these creatures because you, you even have, you even have the lackeys, the messengers, uh, Gnarl Hotep, um, elder things, which are these were creatures that they're like the, one of the few creatures in his stories that aren't necessarily the baddest or meanest. They, there's even in mountain madness, there's these ginormous prehistoric looking penguins that, that made me laugh. It's I, I like the mountain of madness. I know you have your blo- your issues, but that one's fun if you can actually uh, get into it. Um, so why and we kind of covered this, but I'm gonna you know keep it going. Uh, why is there such a huge following for Lovecraft mythos? I think it really goes back to 
it's it's so different. It's so unique. It is a niche. Like you really do. You either like it or you don't. Right. I think. And th- th- another. There's appeal. a very. There is a thin. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I, I think another appeal of it is just how vast it is. Um, it's. It is. Yeah. You, you, there's there's so much going on. So if you, I mean if you don't like things like that where it's there's an endless amount of war and you know a thousand different like like creatures you're probably not going to be too into it but i mean if you suck up lore and you, you crave like deep stories then i mean you're you're going to love this so yeah yeah let's, so let's put the the story the book aside so let's say you're not into the book of uh, H.P. Lovecraft's work and the Cthulhu mythos. There's so much more. And this is another one of those subjects like Dungeons and Dragons that has been around for a long, long time, even longer. So it, it, it's been able to ferment and just broaden into a, a much more spectacular universe. Uh, you have games like uh, this is legitimately how I got into because I'd heard of Cthulhu and I'd heard of, you know, this apocalyptic universe. And I'd seen the uh, cartoons like in The Simpsons and South Park. South Park yeah. And yes. And it's I've seen it in so many different things. And I was like, yeah, but I got into it through the game Cthulhu Wars, which is a tabletop game. And we'll get into that in just a second. But. Yeah, that's how I got into it was through this was Cthulhu Wars. And then and on the back of the cards about each monster that I'm playing or each um, yeah, organ, basically cult following because you you play as a cult leader following a specific cult monster, uh, whether whether it's Chocho, uh, Shubanugaroth, Naruhotep, Hastur, uh, Cthulhu, Azathoth. I think actually he's an independent. Um but you can learn a little bit about it. And if you win as the cult, you get to see what happens to the, the world. You get to play. Spoiler alerts. It's never good. Uh, is the, what's his, I don't know how to pronounce it. Chognar Farm. Is that one you said? Um, the elephant guy? N- no, 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 no. He, he's actually in, um, actually, no, he is in the game. He is. He's an independent cool, God. Cool, cool, yeah. Um, Cthulhu's out. This guy's in for me. Oh, oh yeah, I, yeah, no, I actually Jack have the, the model of him. Oh, he's dope. He's just this Jack yeah, elephant pretty cool. covered in spikes. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a. Uh, actually, I think my favorite is uh, Hestor and uh, the the, uh, the King in Yellow. Those are my favorite, and they're basically like Egyptian mummy kind of stuff. But Hestor is really not. He's like just he is. Like Google it if you get a sec. Like he's like a tentacly looking monster, but Call of Cthulhu or Cthulhu Wars, you have him in there. So, but that's getting a little bit further. So, but why? There's so much different stuff. And here's kind of the the parenting question: When is it appropriate, and what age is it appropriate to let your children into the Cthulhu mythos? Before I did the research, I would have said at least nine or 10 and starting with games like Cthulhu Wars, uh, because it is a very, most of the games are very complicated because they deal with the insanity and young kids really, I don't feel like they can grasp that, that whole portion of like, this is death by madness. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a very adult, not because of a, uh, being provocative or anything like that, but I think you it's need that maturity level complex. to just to, and yes to understand it. Yes, the complexity of it. However, that being said, there are Dr. Seuss books now themed Dr. Seuss books. They're not really Dr. Seuss, but uh, A is for you know, or C is for Cthulhu is a book, and it's a it, there's kids stuff. Oh, that's there's so much stuff why out there. I like the elephant guy. Horton, here's a who crazy uh-huh. movie. You wouldn't believe how much Cthulhu stuff's in there. Really? No, no, I, I have to go not. back and watch no. it now. It's wrong no. with you. Uh, no. <laughs> you had me there. I was like, wait, I bought into it. I, I bought your, your emphasism and your, your, how ecstatic you Acting. were about it. Acting. In scene. So, <laughs> um, no, but it's, he actually, there, there is a CFR is for Cthulhu. There's a bunch of children's books out there. 
tongue in cheek kind of laughing about those. That's more for those are more for the parent that is already in Cthulhu and the mythos and is like, hey, look, my kid's into it. Your, your kid likes the pretty pictures. So on that note, I would probably say at a light minimum level, 10, 9, 10 years old. And that's just grasping the game of like maybe Cthulhu Wars because it is a very simple game to get into and very easy to play, but it can get overly complex later on. Um, if you're looking at RPGs, uh, which is a Call of Cthulhu, um, if you're looking at reading the encyclopedias, the, the books and stuff, teenage years is probably your best bet. And for me, um, I'd have to say yeah. six. Read it as a bedtime story. Read it as a bedtime story? Here, let me explain the Mountain of Madness, yeah, the Call you, of Cthulhu. You, you can really? The, oh, yeah. you should dress up too. Like, get in a really slimy, <laughs> One of the cultists. Really tend- <laughs> you know, whatever. You want to be Cthulhu, you want to be a cultist. Um, yeah, really do a production. Yeah, there we go. Let's read the Beyond the Wall of Sleep as I tuck you into bed. Uh, <laughs> um, parenting pointed, I probably would say, yeah, definitely a teenager and up game, uh, with the exception of maybe Cthulhu Wars. All right. Uh, so let's go ahead and let's take a break right here because we have been going for a little bit and we'll take a break and we'll come back. We'll look at a little bit more and kind of go what has been influenced by uh, the Cthulhu universe. Welcome back. Uh, so great first start. A little depressing, very, a little dark in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that that's okay because we're done over the grim darkness of H.P. Lovecraft to an extent. We're not going to get you guys all depressed and sad anymore. Uh, insert happy music right here. All right. Happy music. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and let's go to our next question. Uh, and it's kind of funny. My next two questions are literally about what things I wanted to discuss. And I've been mentioning them. Uh, the first one is what is call of Cthulhu? So call of Cthulhu. Do you actually know anything about it, Joey? Uh, I'm not too familiar with it. Okay. Uh, so call of Cthulhu is the RPG version of the Cthulhu mythos and it's essentially think of it on the same concept as Dungeons and Dragons, Mm -hmm. but not so much focusing on, you know, defeating the big bad evil guy and, you know, saving your wounds and leveling up. It's more about keeping your sanity throughout it. There's (laughs) A lot of the Cthulhu H.B. Lovecraft universe, it's it's very grim dark. It really is. <laughs> Even in the, the the role playing games, it's it's more of a uh, noir crime solving style game uh, that typically takes place in the 1920s, 1930s. Uh, however, it can take place in any time frame, even up to modern time. Uh, they they have a lot broader spectrum of jobs so i actually created a character and guess what his profession was um well it's probably something good so i was a sailor oh of course i was a naval yeah, I was sailor gonna go with clown, yeah. but yeah sailor <laughs> okay yes 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 i was a so i made him a clown oh yeah oh my god you got me oh <laughs> uh, that's gonna be the next my bad <laughs> i'm not a clown i never was a clown my bad. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, yes, I made a character and he was a sailor and that actually has a, some cause and effect and actually can affect my sanity because I've seen a lot of stuff in the Navy. My guy goes, I can handle a little bit more craziness. Like I see heads floating. My guy goes, yeah, no, that seems legit. I'm okay with that. Where somebody might be like shaking back and forth in the corner. So it's kind of cool. Um, it's it's a a little more in depth on the fluff style, if you will. If you if you kind of get what I'm um, throwing here, like the the whole personality and traits, they have more of an effect. It's actually 
uh, essential gotcha. so and the information. Building the role playing aspect of it actually comes into play. Yes, it is definitely more role playing in the game than so much as a RPG. So it's it's neat. It's very different. Um, and your your big bads are a lot harder and almost impossible. So it's again, it comes down to can you come out of this you know not sucking your thumb and you know shaking back and forth it would be not to go back to dnd because we've already done enough on that but it'd be We'd interesting if you could you know kind of mix those two concepts of like they they are they oh, actually they, are they uh yes we do and we i can't believe you don't remember they have a oh well it's not so much the sanity part mm -hmm. but cthulhu mythos is a fifth edition unofficial oh, right. I'm, uh, I'm, expansion I'm, i meant specifically about like implementing this this sanity mechanic oh yeah that that would be that would be neat and as a dm is something you could do but right. again beating a horse we've already right, caught, right, right. you know done um so yes it is it's it's neat it's very different it's much more on the acting, uh, improv, role playing style than it is an actual game, 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 and not terrible. It does take long. It does take some long time playing some of the games. You, but you, right? But I it's, feel like it's like it's like any other RPG, right? I feel like that just kind of it goes hand in hand with any kind of game like that. You you're expected to put in at least a couple hours. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. Uh, this is one of those ones, though, I would say <laughs> make sure your players are very much educated on how to play the game. This is not like we're I wouldn't say you'd be able to jump in with D&D, &D, but you can jump in a lot easier into D&D &D than you can this. Now, Call of Cthulhu does have a, you know, essentials pre-built campaign kit that you can get. However, you do need to read a lot more. I will say this, though, is where it's different from D&D, you can use a lot more props. So it can, you can use maps, you can use all the stuff. It becomes a lot more immersive on the role-playing side, like uh, almost not even so much role-playing, but live-action role-playing. So it is definitely on the LARP side. So that's what LARP stands for for our listeners, live action role-playing. So it is a lot more. It is, it is that that fine line zone between LARP and D and D is what I would say. Cause you can use maps. You can use all this like actual physical stuff. And it's kind of neat that way. Um, some people like to actually implement actual problem solving puzzles that you have to solve or something happens to your character. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's neat. It's different. Um, I played it a couple times, but not necessarily my cup of tea. Now, this next one is Cthulhu Wars. Now I know I uh, you you you've done your little research on this. So what do you think? So from a yeah from somebody who hasn't played it but has researched it point of view, what do you think? Um yeah, it, 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 I have never played it personally. So like just what I've looked at in the videos that I've watched, it definitely seems like there's a bit of like a, you know a little bit of a learning curve. I don't know how true that is. Um, just from an outsider perspective, it looks like mm. there are a lot of pieces. Um, but it looks, I mean, it looks a lot of fun. Um, I'm trying to think of something to compare it to. The only things I could think of what games I would reference it similar to would maybe be Risk. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's except that, with that, monsters. That, that's, yeah, with monsters and much bigger pieces. Um, it, it has some of the similarity, similarities, as I said stutter over here mess up this word <laughs> yeah it it it's very similar to like the the look of risk and the only the only other thing that i can which i can't imagine it's even closely related to but there's a game called um i believe it's king of new york or something like that. it's a small it's a small like little board game where essentially you, it, it's like King of the Hill with monsters. Mm. You want to hold a specific point, but essentially it's you are a monster group, you know, like you're an alien or a giant robot or you know something like that. 
Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, can't remember uh, I had to think of it. Called. Like the only one I was like King of Tokyo. King of Tokyo. That's what it is. King of Tokyo. Oh, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So essentially, you have your faction, and you are trying to, you know, win the city or you know conquer or whatever. Um, yeah. But I can't imagine. I, I feel like that's a very simplified version of Cthulhu Wars. So I have definitely delved into Cthulhu Wars. I've played definitely a good fair share of this game. It's somewhat complicated. I, I It took me, it takes about a half an hour to learn. So if you're not willing to sit there and learn a game, this is probably not the game to start with. I mean, there is a video and that's one of the videos I sent you, uh, it t- took about 15, 20 minutes what to, for her, the, them to show you how to play it and kind of go over. Uh, just because sometimes I- I've always felt that uh, being a visual learner while also reading the rules, it does kind of help. You know, you learn the game a little bit quicker. Um, it's not a terribly difficult game to get into. And once you start playing and you actually familiarize yourself with it, the games can last anywhere between like an hour to two hours at the very most two hours. Um, it's neat. It's each. What I really like about it is you have four teams in the, the, the starter set. And yes, it is a starter set as huge as this box is. Like I'm looking at it right now. It is like a two by two by one by uh, we'll say one box. It's, it's big. It's a big box. And, it's got a lot of, it does have a lot of stuff in it, but it's not to the overwhelming level of, I'd say, risk. I'd say the average team in the starter set has like maybe 20, 30 pieces for any army kind of game. That's not a lot, but for any just regular board game, that kind of is a lot. Uh, but back to my point was uh, each army in this game, it's a great old one that you as a cultist leader, that's your position. You're a cult leader. Uh, worship has their own benefits to them. Each has a, like a, a special strategic uh, value that they can use that no other one can use. So like Cthulhu um, automatically, if you're playing Cthulhu, he gets to start first. That team gets to start first. If you're playing, um, I think it's uh, the sleeper. So if you're playing the sleeper faction, which is an expansion, uh, you can choose not to do an action your turn and you can save your powers. So everybody could burn out and then you still have all of yours. It, there's there's so many. Uh, the, the, the black goat, you get to your cultist can actually do they if you get the, the ability, you can uh, summon all your monsters with a, a infinite amount of whatever, how much power you have. Plus, your cultists can murder people. They can actually... You're the only team that has cultists that has knives. So, yeah. So, like a lot of, like a yeah, lot of so, different games, each faction. It's pros yes. And cons and pros. pros and cons, yes. And it, it's neat because it, depending on who gets what, it can. it's a different game every single time. Right. So, and then, how, do yeah, you, go ahead. how do you decide on who gets who? Is it just like, oh, I'm... You can choose... Okay. Or you can do like, so when I played it, we, I have a, uh, I have a 10 cup and I put all the faction tokens and we kind of shake it up and every, and we, everybody reaches in and grabs one. Um, so then those are just like, there are one, two, three, four, there is, I think nine or 10 actual expansion teams that you can play. Yeah. So there's the four starters and there's like five or six expansion teams and they they're actually coming out with a couple more uh, i know they did a kickstarter back a couple years ago uh kind of downside of this game is everything is done through uh kickstarters and by from peterson games you can buy the stuff but it's kind of hard to find after a couple of years unless they remanufacture it it's pretty much on a demand process um which i imagine makes it a little more pricey it does make it a little bit more pricey uh but it's it's I like it if if again this is one of those if you're in this niche this is like it's it's almost without questioning I think the the board game goes for around 150 to 200 dollars for the starter so yeah that's for a board game that's expensive for somebody for now for a tabletop gamer that's 
probably about average price for if you're playing like Warhammer 40k, two player teams, like the starter sets cost at minimum $90. So that's 180 for two teams plus. Yeah. So you're, you're looking at about average price for a tabletop gaming uh, price, but it has lots of expansions. So they do take all of the mythos. They have all the gods. They have all the, the, the great old ones, the, all the miners, they have Dagon, they have Medusa, they have, uh, what's, what was the elephant one's name? So they have him, they have, they have, uh, one that looks like a giant sandworm. Chognar Fognan. Okay. Yeah. Um, they have one that looks like a giant sandworm is, is called Dole, D-H-O-L-E. And so they, they have all these really neat things. It's, it's fun and I enjoy it. So it's and then they have an expansion board, so you don't have to use the same board. They have uh, different from different stories. So they have the Dreamland, they have Prim- Primeval Earth, they have the Library, which is uh, a unique story in there. And the, the custodian—it's really fun. The library, you can look it up. You'll have to Google. Custodian. Yeah, you don't have to look. Well, the custodian. Your books are always late. Oh my gosh, you the custodian is this evil you. creature. Oh no, 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 no. The custodian is, is he's not very happy when he finds a mess in the library <laughs> and the librarian is not very pleasant either. <laughs> it's you have to look him up. Cthulhu Wars, uh, the library. Uh, so there's lots of stuff in this. And so it's, it's kind of neat. Um, that's would be the game I would consider if, you know, for the youngers, if you're trying to get a, like nine or 10 to play it. Um, it's a great, party game if you can actually get uh like i said you only need two people to play you can play up to eight people um i have uh some family that's not nerdy at all and uh, they've seen pictures of it and they're like i want to play unfortunately with the pandemic happening it made it very difficult and so we're kind of putting it on pause until they actually you know it comes into fruition where we can all meet and not have to be super socially distanced um Another really neat game that's a video game is called Call of Cthulhu. So if you want to experience this stuff without having to actually play an RPG or tabletop game, uh, The Sinking City and Call of Cthulhu, both of which have just recently came out within the last year, are very, very good games that you can get into on your PC or gaming consoles and enjoy and experience the Cthulhu Lovecraft mythos. So they, they have some really neat stuff in there. I enjoyed them. Um, kind of transitioning from there. Kind of since we're talking about video games, um, stuff that has been influenced, uh, by the HP Lovecraft Cthulhu mythos, pretty much every thriller movie game, just in story has, some roots in the mythos, the Cthulhu mythos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure uh, everything just like yeah, you know D D or something like that, it has a Absolutely. very wide grasp on pop culture and stuff like that. It, in it, and here's where I, I, I try to say with like stuff like this, like with the Lovecraft mythos and Dungeons and Dragons, these are things that have been around for a long, long time. Like literally nineteen twenty eight which is almost a hundred years now. You think about it. So it's, it's 2020, almost 2021. This stuff started in 1928. So it's almost got a century of roots into, you know, our, our pop culture and our entertainment world. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons was 1974. So that still has like 46 years. Yeah, which is that's 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 ample amount of time. Yeah, it's it's ample amount of time for if to build that cult, to build that following, that fandom. Um, it's everything from Stephen King, the uh, writers like Stephen King and Michael Crichton. Both uh, Stephen King actually said, um, uh, the the book Carrie was inspired by him reading H.P. Lovecraft work. So he took that insanity. He took that alternative uh, thriller ideology and turned it into this amazing book. Um, The movies Ghostbusters 
were inspired by uh, which that one that one threw me off i was like oh wow i didn't ever think but now that you go back and then you look and they say they ask are you a god and they say who is this and she goes there is no game only (laughs) and you see that and you're like oh oh my gosh i can totally see it now i get it and thinking oh, of the Stay Puffed yeah, Marshmallow Man as a great also old one. <laughs> the mythos. Yeah, that's crazy too. I don't believe you. I'm not going to fall for it this time. I'm not going to fall for it this time, Joey. That's not nice. Why would you play with my emotions like that? <laughs> what Rick Moranis um, <laughs> Rick Moranis is? Okay, I believe you now. Uh, Ridley Scott, mm-hmm. uh, who has done <laughs> every kind of movie you could possibly imagine. Uh, it's has inspiration, has ties into that. Uh, Steven Spielberg uh, has said he's you know he's utilized these kind of ideologies. So it, it's it's not hard to see how this stuff hasn't inspired the works. Uh, and one of our favorite games uh, that you and I grew up playing, Eternal Darkness. That's such a good game. That's that's Cthulhu based was completely inspired by the Cthulhu mythos. It's such a good game. It's such a great game. For those who aren't familiar with it, it is quite literally the the concept of insanity in a game. It did a lot of things that no other video game play did. It messed with the, the players. So if you like that, and, and now that I know that you, because I know you like that game, and I know you're not the biggest fan of H.P. Lovecraft's personal writing, but you take that sanity game and you take the creatures and the ideology of the mythos and you combine that in. That is the core of pretty much all of the, the rest of the Cthulhu world and gaming world for that. So, like, I, you would definitely love the Call of Cthulhu and it, uh, I mean, I'll say for games. anybody who's listening that hasn't gotten the t- opportunity to form your own opinion on his writing... I mean, that it is just my opinion, but don't take his writing exclusively because the mythos is huge. There's so It is much. very huge. And it, it, the mythos as a, an entirety is amazing, and I love that. Yeah, uh, it's it's fun, and it's, kind of, it's, it's another one of those universes that is expanding. I would not say as quickly or as exponentially as Dungeons and Dragons, but it does expand um even companies uh so the mysterious package company they've done a few of the things mostly around the king and yellow <laughs> which is just awesome i i love mysterious package company they make these prop boxes full of the stuff and it's almost immersive where you can believe that somebody has sent you these mysterious packages and they come with some high quality stuff like really high quality. I did the, the one of them was like the weeping book and it came with this really neat little legitimately looks like a kid's journal and it's got, it's bent, it's written in all over the place. They do their, they definitely do their work and without spending too much time describing these, because I want to dedicate an episode to the mysterious package company. Um, they do some really, 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 really cool things. And they did two pieces for the King in yellow. Uh, one was called the King in yellow and I can't remember what the the first one was called or maybe the first one was called king yellow and the second one i can't remember one of them was called the king in yellow regardless and <laughs> as i keep saying king and yeah, yellow yeah no no i've i've gotten um, that so far king in yellow is a pretty <laughs> king big and yellow. he's it's, pretty big, yeah. pretty big part of this yeah um i got the statue i'll take a picture and i'll post it on instagram and it's he's just sitting this menacing like faceless creature is sitting in on a stone chair and it's, it's daunting. It's daunting looking and it looks like an ancient artifact. So I, I, I really do. I really do like it. And I'm like looking over at it and admiring it. So I need to get a space yeah. like where I can put it. I mean, I'm not really much of a collector of like little trinkets, but they like collect a lot of maps and stuff like that. I'm a big, big map guy. Um, but I just don't have any space for those maps. One of the, the the mysterious packages, I it actually came with a a legitimately real looking. Um, I know I've said this in a few episodes. I was in the Navy, um, but what I did 
part of what I did is we'd have to do navigation and we had these sea mariner charts, these nautical charts. And they actually sent one in one of the packages and I had to look at it. I had to look at it because it, it looked legit. I was looking over. I'm like, there's the legend. There's all these, they had the buoy markers on it. It had all this information. And I'm like, this almost looks like it's legit. I was the, the amount of detail, like I said, I, I don't want to keep talking about them because I, they deserve a whole episode and I'm going to get in contact with them about it. Um, but much respect to them, but they do, they do fun stuff like that too. Um, which is another talk about like what was inspired by the, the mythos. So there's a lot out there that has been touched by this stuff. Um, I think it's a, it's, it's a harder subject of our fandoms to get into because the, of the verbology and the, the the work, the writing, I, I think it's a, like how you felt about it in the, the beginning is is just it was it's not your cup of tea typically. And I don't think you would have personally gone out of your way if I hadn't said, hey, you should probably check this out. Let's be honest here. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. Um, this is the most research I've done into this the mythos as a whole. Like, of course, I've known about Cthulhu mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but. Um, I mean, regardless of what I think about H.P. Lovecraft's work, um, well, his stories, I should say, like his life, it, you know, the, it's interesting how he, you know, how these things came to be very interesting. Into fruition. Yeah. And then how, where it's gone, like since he passed away, like yeah, know, the mythos itself. Super interesting. That being said, no, I, I, obviously I've never taken the time to learn in depth about it before. Yeah. And if it wasn't for this episode, I probably still would not. Okay. So now knowing what you know, because I think this is a great how our listeners can relate to somebody who's, you can call it nerdy curious about the the mythos. Knowing what you know now, knowing the research that you've done and how we've talked about stuff, how much more likely or less likely are you to personally look into and engage or engage in the mythos? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not going to dedicate my life to it, but definitely, <laughs> you know, now that I'm, I'm going to go pick up a GameCube and Eternal Darkness again, of course. Um, no, yeah, I, I mean, on top of whatever, like, little bit of research, I've found myself going down all these little rabbit holes because, again, there's so much stuff. So, it, and lore is very much my stuff like i love yeah. deep lore um so yeah i am i'm probably definitely going to keep looking more and more and now that we actually now that I, you say that and i think about what makes this so appealing i think it is the detective noir feel that you kind of can have with this like it it makes you want to delve more it makes you want to go down the rabbit hole and i think that is part of the the crux that is the mythos because you go down that rabbit hole and then you start to lose your sanity because the things that you know or it well it, it how it's it portrays it and plays it out is you go down this rabbit hole you discover these things and the things that you know before is the cake is a lie you know <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, what a dated reference <laughs> Oh my goodness! <laughs> like you, you learn that that it's a lie. That they the the things that you know, the reality that is there is a, is a lie. But uh, so let's let's wrap up this episode because I think we've pretty much covered everything that I want to cover, and I feel that we can do respect to without beating a dead horse here for the the mythos. Um, final thoughts really is this is a niche. Uh, fandom. It really is a niche fandom and that you either do like it or you don't. Um, I do encourage our listeners to at least attempt check it out on some form, uh, whether it's the Lovecraft Country show, uh, the the books, the audibles, because which you can get for free uh, to listen to. And the HP Lovecraft Society Historical Society does justice to the stories by uh, acting them out in an audible form. Um if you're looking at a game, look at uh, Cthulhu Wars, 
Call of Cthulhu, I would recommend for our D&D players, our more seasoned veteran uh, RPG players. If not, look at the video games. They're out there. They're fun. There's tons of shows. There's even, uh, actually, uh, Nicolas Cage just did a movie uh, from the, the Color Out of Space. So there's lots of things out there. Give it a shot. See if it's something you'd be into. If not, you've at least got to dabble. And congratulations, you got to keep your sanity. <laughs> um, Joe, final thoughts. Yeah, follow us on Instagram at DNA Pod and on Twitter at Nerd DNA Pod. Uh, and if you'd be so inclined, follow me on Instagram as well. It's underscore Joe Pew underscore. And as always, please, please, please like, rate, review, follow. Give us, uh, give us a good rating. Yes, five stars on Apple. Uh, we definitely need all the feedback. Let us know what you think, what you want to hear next. Yeah, if you got any questions, uh, definitely submit them. Uh, do you know what we're doing for the next episode? I do, and this one is going to be one you're really going to be into. I'm really excited about. Um, and here's what I'm going to do. This is a great point, too. Before I say what we're going to do, there will be spoilers in our next podcast, and I will announce that and give a nice little 10-second countdown. Uh to forewarn our listeners, but we are going to be discussing. You ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> the Mandalorian. Oh yes, season two. <laughs> season oh. two. So we're gonna we're, we'll delve a little bit about season one. We'll delve into the latest episodes of season two, um, and talk a little bit about everything that goes in with the Mandalorian lore, Star Wars. And depending on how well this goes out uh, with the Mandalorian, we may just jump into Star Wars right after that. Yeah, we'll we'll think about that one. That one's that's that one's still up in the air. But yes, our next episode is going to be the Mandalorian. So Jojo, you better make sure you do your research on that one. <laughs> All right. So on that note, let's go ahead and end it here. As always, I'm Steve, and I'm Joe. May the blind idiot God be with you. Ooh. before the next episode, right? I want my mommy.